Kings of the Podcast, episode 157, the global edition. Prior to the Kings even heading down south to Australia, the uh, global hopscotching, fresh off of his birthday, Dennis Bernstein, uh, DB, happy birthday. Welcome back to the mainland. Thank you, Jay. Great to be back on uh, North American soil, but Paris was amazing. If, you know, when you get to my age, Jay, and you get to the big 6'5", you want to, I mean, I know you've been to Paris before, but first time me and PJ have been here, just what a wonderful trip. All the tip, you know, big spots, Eiffel Tower, Louvre, uh, Versailles Palace. It was just uh, memorable, amazing, and we had a great time. We haven't had a chance to connect, even though we had texted a few times while you were gone. Did you get a chance to go to the uh, the place that I, I told you to go and eat over by the uh, Dolly Museum? No, I didn't. I didn't get to that museum. That's why. So, but we oh okay, we, we well, weren't lacking a- for yeah, we weren't lacking for uh, for choices to eat. It was just uh, just an amazing time and. Uh, is uh you know something I will never forget. Yeah, well, it's a great birthday trip, and I'm sure that you and PJ had a wonderful time. We'll debrief off air, and you can uh, give me more of the details all between all the stops. So this was the perfect time to fit in a quick podcast, though, because you've been gone. I'm getting ready to leave. I'm going to be gone. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to compare. I don't know if my trip is going to be equally as fun to yours, but it is my favorite weekend of the entire year. Uh, anybody listening to this podcast knows that punk rock bowling which is, for those that don't know, not a bowling tournament, uh, at least not for me. There will be people bowling, but I will not be one of them. It's uh, it's a music festival that essentially ends up being five days of uh, fantastic fun. So you have Bad Religion, uh, Rancid, and Dropkick Murphys as the headliners, but a whole bunch of other bands, including Face to Face, one of my favorite bands. So all day outside in the 95-degree weather, DB, uh, at a music festival, and then all night mm-hmm. in the uh, small club shows that go on. So um, sleeping in late and then uh, staying out late. So that's how it's going to work Jay, out for the next that, week. When does the, um, when does the event wrap up? When does the festival round up wrap up? It wraps up Monday night. So basically Thursday night, it, the kickoff oh, party man. used to be Friday. The festival is three days. The festival is Saturday, mm-hmm. okay. Sunday, Monday. The festival used to kick off on Friday night, but now they've extended that. So there's a kickoff on Thursday night. So uh, you get, you get uh, uh, Zeke uh, that'll be kicking it off along with the Dead Boys, some classic punk rock uh, on oh, yeah. Thursday. Wow. And then Friday night, Reverend Horton Heat, uh, Julian Ness and some other bands. That's going to be outstanding. That's going to be at a new venue, which I'm looking forward to. Um, for anybody who has not gone, the festival is outside and then the small club shows are typically inside. But it's going to mm-hmm. be at the, uh, the Citrus Pool Deck, wherever that is. Uh, I think it's at the Downtown Grand. I don't know. But there's okay. an outdoor venue 
on top of a roof somewhere. And that's where the Friday night party is going to be. I think there's five bands. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then Saturday, all day music festival. And then uh, I think L7 plays the club. Mm. And then Sunday, all day music festival, another band Sunday night. And then Monday. And the whole thing wraps up Monday night with uh, old friend of the show, Greg Hedson and uh, punk rock karaoke. So, yes, uh, Hedson will be pestering me to uh, see if I will finally get on stage. I don't think this is the year, though, Dennis, uh, that I will join punk rock karaoke. But who knows? Maybe I will. Maybe I will. I I thought I passed with Cross because uh, but it looks like the. Vegas, Florida would start on the 31st, which is a Wednesday. If they either went tonight, which is Thursday or uh, Saturday uh, back home in Vegas. But I don't think we'll pass across because we'll be doing the, the entire well, cup final for, uh, for Sirius XM. We're going to do an hour pregame show this season. So it's going to be cool. Awesome. Well, that'll be great. Yep. Yes. A couple of years ago, punk rock bowling and the Stanley Cup final did converge. And uh, I was able to go to media day yes. while I was in town. Uh, I, I did. I will. In all honesty, I did skip the game. I didn't go to the Stanley Cup final game because I needed to get to the music festival. But uh, of course. I was late. To, I was late to the festival during the day. I missed a couple of the opening bands because I did choose to go to media day. That would have been. Oh, geez. That would have been what? 2017 uh, when Vegas yeah, 2017. went to the final. Yep. The yep. first time. So that's a while ago. Dennis, this is a really big deal, though. Punk rock bowling, because it's an annual yeah. thing that happens over Memorial Day weekend. And then because of the pandemic, everything went sideways. So basically, there has only been one punk rock bowling over the last four years uh, because sure. 2020 was canceled and then rescheduled and then 21 was canceled and rescheduled. And then it ended up happening in September and then they took a year off. And oh, yep. my gosh, it's just so good to be uh, to be back on schedule. You know, I, I like I like what I like and I like it to be consistent in it. So, sure. You know, yeah. This, and, and I Jay, circle you know, this on the been, calendar. Yeah. And you've been traveling a little bit. It's great to see like airports are jammed. I mean, there were a lot of visitors. Obviously, Paris is going to be visitors all the time, but it's just great to see people back out and around without masks on planes. It's just, uh, it's normal. We finally got to back to some norms. And I, so that's to your point about it's not being normal over the last, you know, three or four years and being accustomed to stuff. It's really, it's really great to see at this point. And then Punk in the Park just it was announced earlier this week. You have Circle Jerks and Pennywise later this year. Yeah. Life is great, Dennis. Life is great. Is so uh, exactly. hockey, let's let's get to hockey. We do have uh, Bill Ranford coming up on the program right. today. Now, there's an interesting thing about Billy, and that is that uh, we had put in a request earlier in the season. We wanted to bring him on. We've had Todd on a number of times, uh, but Ranford has never been on the program. And just due to some different scheduling uh, uh, challenges that you and I have been having throughout the year, as well as the Kings having their own challenges. And then, you know, Cal Peterson in December going down to the AHL, that kind of put a moratorium for a while on uh, talking to Ranford. And then you had the Jonathan Quick trade, which also, and then, you know, it was playoff time. So it's it's been a road to get here, but really right. it worked out for the best because just a week ago, Dennis, the Kings management structure changed and Bill Ranford was promoted. And now they're creating this whole sort of goalie department. That's going to be headed up sure. by Ranford. So it's great to have him on and look forward to talking with him about that and what those changes mean and how it's all going to go. Um, here's what I would say. I don't know how much you've been keeping up with the news while you've been on the other side of the world, Dennis, but the Kings need to add a goaltending coach at the NHL level. And they're going to add one at the yes. American hockey league level because Matt Millar, who's also been on the program before, is moving from more of an on-ice role to an off-ice role. And uh, I'm just going to float this name out there because I think we might be hearing it. Uh, we'll see We'll see if Billy wants to react to it. But uh, Peter Budai, 
is somebody who uh, has long been well thought of in the LA Kings organization. And he was cutting his teeth over this past season or two with the Colorado Avalanche organization and with the Colorado Eagles, who have become the nemesis, ironically, of the Ontario Reign. Um, they've knocked them out of the playoffs now for three years in a row. But uh, Peter Budai is working his way into being uh, more of a coach. And I'm just curious and I'm wondering if that'll be a name that the Kings will target um, to fill that role that was previously held by Ranford. You can only imagine, though, DB, that once the news broke, I'm sure Billy's phone was blowing up, Todd's phone, Blakey's phone, everybody's phone, right? Everybody's clamoring to uh, get their name in the hopper and oh, yeah. be a candidate for this, for both of these opening roles, for that matter. Yeah. So um, I actually got a text on it asking. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, it's they're looking on boat level, which is unusual, right, John? It's usually one guy gets promoted up from the AHL to the NHL. It's not the case. So, yeah, there's two openings, and I even got some text about it. I said, yeah, go talk to they're looking, so we'll see. I'm I'm hoping it was a goaltender though, because the thought would be that um, it would need to be a former goaltender uh, that would. It was definitely a goaltender yes. that would move into that position. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Where is Jonathan Bernier these days? Because uh, that's another question that sort of comes to mind. I think he was coaching in the Quebec League at one point, wasn't he? Uh, do you remember that? I don't know. I'd have to. Look I don't it recall. Up. Yeah, I don't recall. Yeah, because Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Bernier was somebody who was uh, connected to the organization early on, and um, I know they thought very highly of, and so just have to be curious about that. So you're always looking for a connection, DB, right? Uh, when, when it comes to coaches, general managers are usually looking for a connection uh, when it comes to their coaches, but here's something interesting. I'll just mention this about the Ducks real quickly, DB, and then we can move on, uh, and we'll bring in Billy, and then we can talk about the playoffs, and both of us have wonderful predictions for these Stanley oh, Cup finals, oh. and so we can... <laughs> We can this talk about that in the disaster. <laughs> it's disgusting. Is that the it's, word? It's di no, disaster. No, oh, it's yeah, a disaster. I'm sorry. It okay. could be disgusting too, but I'll pick disaster first. Okay. <laughs> um, so I did put out there, uh, just talk about the Ducks real quickly because they're getting closer to hiring not only a goaltending coach, but really they're getting closer to hiring a head coach, Dennis, yeah. because yeah. Dallas Eakins um, has moved on. So uh, did you happen to see the tweet that I had put out? Uh, I think you were traveling at the time about, who I'm hearing that the Ducks are very interested in bringing in? No, I didn't. I see it, but I don't recall, actually. So, so the name is Todd Nelson. Todd Nelson. Yes, and he's with yes, the Hershey yes. Bears. And the yeah, reason yeah. that I find this interesting is that there are there are sort of two reasons. One, he was one of the finalists for the job when uh, Dallas Eakins was hired. So that's always interesting because... I, I, don't, I don't think very often teams circle back to a guy that they had spoken to once before, especially given that it was a number of years ago. I think it was 2019. So while it seems close, it really is a long time ago uh, in, in hockey years, if you will. And the other reason that that name is interesting is that Todd Nelson had uh, replaced or took over the Oilers after Eakins yeah. left. So this, if he's yeah. hired by the Ducks, this would then be the second time that he's followed yeah. Dallas Eakins. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, Todd yeah, Nelson has had a lot it. of success with the Hershey Bears, and so that's something interesting. And then the other thing um, that I would just mention about the Ducks, I know this is Kings of the Podcast, so chill out, everybody, um, <laughs> has to do with the draft coming up, Dennis. Uh, looking forward to being in Nashville and uh, yeah. doing the 2023 NHL draft with you. We'll have to do a, a podcast or two. We'll actually be in the same location for we will, like, the first time in a long time, DB. So we'll, we'll have to figure that out. 
We'll have to but, bring uh, some different gear, John. Exactly. We'll, 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 well you, you said you were going to get that recording. new slim, that slim yes, box or yes, whatever. I am. Okay. Now, yeah, that's a great, great reminder. I'm going to do that after I get the podcast, but we can definitely. Okay. Do that. Yes. Get that ordered so we can we can be ready for for June. Chop, it's chop. Coming up Let's quick. I know uh, it is. My point to this though was the Ducks are picking yeah. second. They lost. They they either won the second pick or they lost the first pick. I guess it can be both. It's and. Well, it they lost the both. first pick, John. This year they lost the first pick, bro. I don't. Uh, can, can we talk about all of these crazies that think that the draft is rigged? Can we? Can we just? Can we yeah, dispel totally that rigged. myth exactly. once and for all? I, yeah. I, I want to make sure. Are you? Are you in the it's rigged camp, or are you? You're convinced it's not rigged. <laughs> it's not rigged. It's not rigged, Dennis. It's not rigged. It's numbers. It's ping pong. Ball. Oh, please. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. So just Although more the, conspiracy. The broadcast did screw up because it left out. I think Philly or something like that when they went to or Columbus. When he it, went through the card, Ke- Kevin Weeks was reading off a teleprompter and he gave some yeah. information out prior to going to the commercial that should have been given right. out after the commercial. But it's right. really so people think it's a conspiracy. Or it, excuse me, that it's rigged when the reality of all this is, Dennis, that's a production. It's a made for TV yeah. event. It reminds me of right. the UFC weigh ins. The UFC weigh ins take place <laughs> at nine o'clock in the morning. OK, nine o'clock in the morning with nobody present except a few journalists. Right. And then. They have the ceremonial weigh-ins, which take place at four o'clock, and they pack right. the place with about five thousand fans who come there. Exactly. And it's just—it's a made-for-TV event, or at least it's a made-for-live audience event. But the yep. actual weigh-ins took place earlier in the day. It's the same thing with this. Uh, it's done, you know, under the auspices of of regulators and and auditors and you know mm-hmm. official people uh sure. that, that can nevada stamp- state athletic commission like, no I, I was referring to the nhl i don't think the nevada state oh, athletic NHL? commission oh, is there but yes the nevada state athletic commission is there doing the weigh-ins but in this case somebody besides gary bettman was my point is overseeing yeah. the actual actual lottery and then they have this made for tv event where you know bill daly flips the cards or whatever he does RT and there's a lot of drama and suspense uh, so my point is it's not rigged, but the Ducks did lose out. Obviously, Connor Bedard going first and going to Anaheim would have been a great thing for the Ducks organization. And Mason McTavish would have enjoyed that because they had chemistry. Where I was going with all of this is that everybody seems to in the hockey world have already decided who the Anaheim Ducks are taking at number two. I just want to float this name to you so we can circle back to it later. Leo sure. Carlson is the name to yep. be looking at um, yep. for the Ducks 100%. at number two. From what I'm hearing, that's the guy that they're looking at. Uh, not Fantilli. So we'll we'll see how it all shakes out. We'll do more draft coverage later. Um, but who knows? Maybe they'll have their, their coach hired and uh, the draft will be fun. Anaheim has a lot of work to do, Dennis. Um, they are, you know, much like the Clippers did for many years. They are living in the, in the shadow uh, of the L.A. Kings in Southern California. They want attention. They want respect. They're cleaning house over there, too, DB. They're even replacing oh, some yeah. radio and TV people. So, yeah. And I think they're getting a, a new jersey as well, which has been rumored wow. for quite some time. I doubt that it'll happen next year uh, with this transition that's taking place. I think all the teams have been frozen from what I what I heard last. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, they're going to Fanatics, right? You know, right, right. That, yep. that caused <laughs> that caused a stir too in the hockey. Oh league. yeah, holy cow! <laughs> all right, overreaction quick- central. Exactly. Uh, what's that? Overreaction <laughs> central. It's the hockey community. They overreact to everything. What do you expect, Dennis? Um, <laughs> let's get. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll bring in Bill Ranford. We'll talk with him, and then we can overreact to that on the other side of the break during the third period. And we'll talk Stanley Cup playoffs and our wonderful predictions of how things are looking, and a few more LA Kings tickets. 
There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're gonna trust when the judge is so unjust and the jury must discuss. Say you don't look like one of us. We're gonna turn now. The court has been adjourned, and the lessons that you've learned are not as many. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, summertime edition here, and uh, a timely guest today, recently promoted, and there's some changes uh, afoot in the LA Kings organization, Bill Ranford. Billy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Well, let's just start with your name, first of all, uh, because when we were coordinating this interview with the PR department, they, of course, referred to you as Bill. Uh, Todd and Blakey and everybody else referred to you as Billy. We joke with Mikey Anderson, wondering at what point he moves from being Mikey to Mike, so when did you move from being Billy to Bill, and how come Todd didn't get the memo? Uh, I think in the, the hockey world, it's Billy, and then everywhere else, it's Bill. <laughs> so, are, are you kind of bummed, though, uh, you know, that your name didn't work out to give you, like, a really super cool nickname? You know, a lot of times, they just add a Y or an IE to the end of your last name. It doesn't really work with Ranford, I don't think. Ranny, 40, doesn't work, yeah. so you got stuck with Billy. But, like, Juice has a really good nickname. Did, are, are you jealous you didn't get a really good one? Uh, you know what? I really didn't put too much thought into it, uh, to tell you the truth. Uh, you know, it was, uh, I only had probably, uh, one nickname and that was, I think Charlie Huddy, uh, gave it to me and, and that was Wilbur. And I don't know where he got that from, but that was the only one that I ever had with the Oilers. And that was, uh, Chuck Huddy that came up with that one. So good old Charlie Huddy. I, uh, one of the long list of, uh, from that era, especially former Oilers that played with the Kings as well. So, um, it's interesting because I wanted to delve into, I have a whole list of kind of current questions to talk to you about, but before we do, let's set the stage real quickly for those of, uh, those few people out there, Bill, that don't know your, uh, your history, uh, or we'll call you Wilbur, I guess, in honor of Huddy. But, um, you were drafted by the Boston Bruins, uh, which is interesting enough because you played for the Bruins uh, come before being drafted, uh, talking about your youth hockey, and then you're drafted by the Bruins, but most people would associate you with the Edmonton Oilers. I, I think we can both ag- at least agree on that, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I was I was there for a short stint. I got uh, traded in in '88, uh, and then I think that's where I kind of established myself in the league. And then actually went there back there for another short stint uh, um, ten years later. So it was, uh, you know, kind of a short reunion. But most of my my years were obviously close to ten years with the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, you were jumping ahead on my list of questions there because I find that to be one of the most fascinating things. Most players that are drafted by a team, maybe even developed by a team, but then eventually traded, uh, don't get the opportunity to go back and kind of get closure. But you, but you did get that opportunity. Um, we'll skip over the Edmonton years for just a second. I'm curious, did it feel that way when you were able to go back to Boston, what, you know, eight years later or whatever it was? Did you Did you feel like it was a sense of closure for you? Uh, no, not at all. Like, I mean, I, I was so young at the time when I was drafted and, you know, it was early on in my career. Um, I was a pretty naive about the whole process at that time. I think it was a, you know, just happened to be a scenario where, um, the Bruins were kind of in that, that, uh, perfect pocket where they were wanting to make a push and, uh, they needed a, a veteran goalie and um, with some experience, and, and that was Andy Moog. And, and um, you know, uh, the Oilers were were, were kind of um, looking for a young a young goalie and a scoring left winger, which was Jeff Cordell at the time. So the irony behind the whole thing was was the the trade was actually for Jeff Cordell, and I was kind of the throw in. <laughs> and then two years later, you know, when I'm um, in the net, actually facing them for the second time in the playoffs. Um, you know, the trade was Andy for myself, but at, at, in '88, uh, it was actually I was the not necessarily the throw in, but um, I know there was one other team that they were looking at was Pittsburgh, and they were the same thing. They're looking for a scoring left winger and a young goalie. Wow. Well, you and Trevor Moore can sort of reminisce about those uh, be- being a throw in in a trade and then actually having it work out. It's it's turned out rather well for Trevor Moore after being a yes. quote unquote throw in in the Toronto deal. Uh, you know what? It, it may have sounded like a throw in at the time, but uh, there was uh, a few people within the organization and Todd being one of them that was potentially moving into the coaching role around that time that that knew about Trevor Moore. And uh, so we weren't surprised. You know, he. Uh, might have taken an extra year or so to develop, but he's a, a real good hockey player. Yeah. Uh, before we move on and talk more current times, I do just have to ask uh, about the that 90 to 92 era there when you're with the Oilers, uh, because something interesting happened, and I was hoping you could jog my memory. Hopefully it doesn't bring up anything uh, negative in your memory, but... For me, I have long argued that one of, if not the best playoff series the Kings uh, have ever participated in, actually, they were on the losing end of the series. Everybody focuses on 93, that seven-game series with Toronto. But that 1991 series between Kings and Oilers, six games, four games go to overtime, two games go to double overtime, just a phenomenal series. Of course, other than Craig Muni trying to break Sandstrom's leg, which we're not going to talk about today because I'll be pissed off and then you'll probably defend him and it won't work well. But uh, you win, you win the Calder. In uh, in 1990, you're you're the talk of the NHL, and then game one, if I remember correctly, of that playoff series, they go back to Grant Fuhr, John Muckler, if I remember was correctly, was the coach. They go back to Grant Fuhr. You didn't get a lot of playing time uh, necessarily in that playoff run in in 1991. Is that true? Yeah, I only had one start, and that was after coming off, uh, you know, um, probably that series, and we had to go right to Minnesota. And, uh, I played, uh, game one and that was it for the whole, the whole playoff. Yeah. I played, 
I played 60, 60 some games. I think it was that year in the regular season. And then, uh, the, the playoffs started and I was coming off the Stanley cup con Smythe win. And, and, uh, they went back to Fierzy and, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a real, uh, learning experience for me. Um, you know, after winning and then not getting the opportunity the following year, but it, I think it made me stronger and, and, you know, Fierzy had won, uh, four Stanley cups. So it's, it's pretty hard to argue that, and, you know, he was still in his prime, um, you know, not to go with him. Ever the nice guy and the teammate there, Bill, to, uh, to justify going to Moog, uh, excuse me, going to Fuhrer. I'm not sure about that. You were coming off a Conn Smythe and a, and a Stanley cup. Your, your time was there. Uh, I always found that interesting, but, uh, as, a, as I guess somebody sitting on the sidelines, um, obviously you were with the Oilers, you came out on the winning side of it, but do you think back to that playoff series at all, uh, uh, as being a really good one or not really because you, like I said, you were, you were watching it. Yeah, it's, you know, when you're not playing, it's you're you're not as uh, um, you know 100% in it, right? Uh, compared to actually being in the net, but you know I think the biggest thing that you have to realize was the uh, the whole Gretzky trade that happened and playing against Wayne Gretzky and and how big that was, not only for our organization to get past that threshold. Um, you know, and continue to, to find a way to, to, to beat Wayne Gretzky. Cause that's, that's the way we looked at, it. you know, you're looking at the board going into a game and Wayne Gretzky's the, the name you circle. That's, that's the guy that you got to be better than. And, you know, for our group, it was, uh, always a big challenge. Anytime we went up against the LA Kings. So it was, uh, we always marked it on the calendar and, and, you know, that, and I think with that series, um, it just showed how, evenly matched both teams were and, and how great a series was it. But was I a hundred percent all in? Uh, no. Was I a hundred percent all in as a cheerleader? Absolutely. You know, um, I'm going to have to get a hold of Rob Blake later today. That was right around the time period that he was coming into the league. I'm going to need to let him know that you guys weren't circling his name on the board at all. You guys weren't worried about number four. Uh, well, we had to worry about, uh, <laughs> number four a little, a little bit after that, yes. that big, that big, uh, big butt of his that uh, hip check yeah, you know sure. <laughs> for sure um how uh, last question on that oilers time period we could do a whole two hours on this uh that's my division to me that's fantastic hockey uh king's oilers rivalry it's back uh and so it's great to see uh however that would be nice if maybe the kings could come out on the winning end i think it's 12 or 13 playoff series now and uh that they've played and edmonton holds the a decided advantage but how weird was it uh, seeing so many former Oilers? It wasn't just 99. There were so many guys uh, that eventually made their way. We talked about Huddy earlier to, to L.A. Was that weird at all? Or at that point when you're playing, it, it just it doesn't really phase you because you're more worried about your team and, and preparing for, you know, games? Well, I think early on it was, you know, you, you, you can tick off the, the different names. Uh, Marty McSorley, uh, Yuri Curry went over there. Yep. Um, you know, in, in the, when, when it was competitive, you know, so obviously, um, yeah, we, it, it was, it was tough, but you know, for, for me as a, a younger player, um, to have that success of a cup in 88 and 90, and then all of a sudden the slow dismantling of the organization was, was tough to, tough to watch and sometimes tough to play behind. Um, but 
you know, their financial things come up with an owner and, and they got to make decisions and, and, uh, the Oilers for a stretch became a seller and, and, uh, you know, the young guys had, had to learn, learn to win and, uh, figure it out for themselves with a lot of veteran players moving on. Yeah. Let's fast forward, uh, a, a decade or so, um, 2006, the LA Kings clean house from a management perspective, a new GM comes to town named Dean Lombardi. At that time, you had spent two years with the Vancouver Giants as the uh, goaltending coach in the WHL. And then somehow you end up in Los Angeles. Can, can you piece that story together for us? How did that happen? Who called you? What was the connection? And, uh, you know, tell us about how you ended up in the NHL all that, all those many years ago. Um, you know, I was, I was basically cut my teeth in the, in the Western hockey league. I, uh, had a year with Dean Chanel in Seattle, uh, you know, commuting back and forth. And then, um, the opportunity uh, came about that the uh, the job in Vancouver came open, and obviously Dean being a really good friend, I you know I didn't want to hang him out to dry. Had a good conversation with him and said you know it'd be easier just being right in my own backyard, and I'd like to interview for the for the job, and and he was great about it. So um, and then just the opportunity to work with a guy like Don Hay, um, you know I learned a lot from Dean, and then you know Don at that time was was one of the the greatest coaches in, in, uh, you know, the Canadian hockey league at, at the time. And, and to learn from him was amazing. Um, you know, and I, I kind of, I got, I basically got excited about, about the position and, and growing in the position. And then all of a sudden I got a phone call from, from, uh, Mark Crawford. And when I re- originally retired, um, I interviewed right out of retirement. I interviewed for the job with the Vancouver Canucks and, and, and Mark Crawford was the coach then. And he just felt that, you know, just coming out of, out of the league that I didn't really have any coaching experience that I needed to go learn. And, and, uh, you know, basically five years later, uh, he phoned me, said, basically the job's yours. If you want it, heard you're doing a lot of good things. And, and, uh, one of the guys that he had worked with, Ian Clark, I'd, I'd done a little bit of work with Ian and, and the combination, I think, of Don Hay and Ian Clark, uh, um, you know, Crow made the decision was that I was the guy he wanted to have. See, there's a guy with a really cool nickname, Crow. We're right back to yeah. the very beginning of the interview again. Um, yeah. And then you meet Dean Lombardi. Do you remember your first, everybody seems to remember an interaction with Dean. Uh, he's such a, he's such a character. Uh, do you remember your first conversation with Dean, uh, or lack thereof, uh, <laughs> it was actually it was actually at the draft here in Vancouver, and uh, um, I got called in to to interview with uh, Dean and and uh, and Ron Hextall, and my interview lasted with Dean about uh, five minutes. He was distracted because he had already was said in his mind that he was. Uh, going to meet with Jamie Compon and uh, interview him for the, uh, for the assistant coach positions. So he was already, uh, he had already bypassed me. He said, you know what? I'm not a goalie guy. You and Hexy uh, talk it out and you guys figure it out. And he walked out of the room. <laughs> so that was my first interaction with Dean. Typical Dean. <laughs> One thing you do have to love about Dean is he's always straight to the point. He never minces words. You never have to wonder what he's thinking. Cause he'll just tell you. Oh yeah. And, and then, you know, the, the real funny story though, is like, I don't need, I don't know Dean from Adam. So I'm like, you know, he's a little bit the, the mad professor and, um, 
you know, I don't know him from, from Adam and I get hired. I interview, I get a phone call that night from, from Hexie, from Ron that, that, you know, we're going to hire you come to the draft the next morning. I meet everybody and everything. Don't really talk to Dean at all that, that day for more than five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he just asked me who was the best goalie in the draft. I said, Bernier, he says, well, we're going to try and draft him." And I'm, I'm at home and, uh, during the first round and I get the phone call from the table and, um, Dean said, calls me and goes, got your guy. Don't screw it up. Hangs up. <laughs> well, and looking back on it now, you shouldn't have expected anything more than that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, and, and he didn't use the word screw it up. You can imagine what language. Oh, yeah, no, I don't. Yeah. Just can't say it up here. Yeah. Dean, uh, Dean has a colorful way of talking. Um, yeah. Uh, we were fortunate enough to get him on the podcast recently uh, as well, and uh, it was it was it was a wonderful hour. Um, last question then about the draft, at least uh, Mark Unetti, uh, You know he's he's been in and around the draft now. Uh, he, he's like you; he's one of the guys who has really stood the test of time. Where most of the other management in the organization has turned over um, since that early oh six oh seven kind of era of Dean Lombardi. Uh, any funny? I know I'm thinking your guys' paths might not have crossed too often, but uh, any any good Yank stories? You know, right, Yanks is a pretty straight shooter. You know, the he's. Uh, I, I really enjoy um, spending time with him, and uh, the season where we had uh, a little bit of the the lockout and stuff gave me the opportunity to travel with a little bit. And and the big joke about Yanks is he uh, he travels with a backpack. Yeah, he has he's one suit. Like, <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. Basically, you know, he's he's got his. Uh, his, his leather boots that he wears to the rink. He's got his a uh, couple pairs of dress pants, golf shirts, and uh, depending on what weather it is, how heavy the coat is. And uh, yeah, he's a uh, he's a pretty simple guy with the, with his travel, and uh, so everybody gets a good chuckle out of him. But uh, uh, Yanks does a you know has done a good job, and and we've got a great relationship, and uh, you know it's a it's an important draft for us from the goalie standpoint. We're we're, we're thin there and, and this year is going to be, uh, you know, uh, a big draft for, for the goalie department and, 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 uh, Yanks. Well, you know, it's funny because you actually transitioned perfectly into my, into my next question, which, well, actually my next question was about coaching, but we, we can skip to the draft. Um, what type of input are you able to give, right? Because Yank has a whole staff of amateur scouts that go all across the world, whether you're talking about Rutu in Europe or even the guys, uh, you know, that are, that are here, Andy Johnson and all those guys that are here in the States and, and covering Canada. Do you have an opportunity to give input? Do they seek input? I mean, obviously Dean asked you about, you know, a goaltender, but do they, do they ask for your input or is that really the impetus almost for this whole reorganization and you moving into a different role? Uh, and then the guy like Matt Millar moving into more of a scouting role. Is it to be able to provide them with some uh, additional sort of feedback on goaltenders? Yeah. I mean, we've always done it to a certain extent, but we're, it's, it's an area that we feel that, that uh, has to be improved in on. And, and that's where, where Blake, when Blakey and I talked a couple of years ago about trying to come up with some sort of system of a goalie department, and 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 that's what we've done. And between myself, Maddie, uh, and Adam Brown, um, we've worked hard at it over the last two summers, um, trying to 
piece it together and coming up, coming up with kind of a game plan. Um, and that, that was a big part of the hiring of Adam Brown, uh, as our development guy. Uh, he not only has the development side of, of, you know, working with our East coast league goalies and prospects, but he's also a big part of, um, the amateur scouting for the goalies. Mm -hmm. So he does all our draft eligible goalies for us. And then, uh, Matt does a little, uh, does a lot of it too, through, through video. And then, um, at the end of the season, if, if time works out, he has the opportunity to do some live viewings. And then right now we're in the process of, uh, you know, we get a list from, from the amateurs. We, we have some names uh, ourselves and then we put our list together and we hand it over to uh, Mark and Eddie and their amateur staff. And, and that's kind of how it works. But I think we're moving forward, obviously in my new role, uh, I'm going to be overseeing all that. And that will also give me the opportunity if it's a big year for, you know, we're maybe looking at, at drafting goalie in the first round, which is always risky. Um, that would put me out on the road, you know, looking at the top two or three guys mm -hmm. um, to make help make that decision with the amateur stuff. So should we just skip the rest of the questions and just talk about the guys that are on your list that you're looking at for the draft this year? Or maybe we'll do that in a, in a follow-up podcast. Yeah, that would be a follow-up. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> You're a seasoned pro. I couldn't slip that one by you. Um, here was no. my here was my real next question, which is, uh, can only a, this is a weird one? Can only a goalie be a goalie coach or a goalie consultant? Um, I think I think you have to have played the position to a certain extent. Yes, mm -hmm. but is it? Mandatory, probably not. Um, but I think if you've lived it and breathed it, it's uh, it definitely helps in the position. Have you, can you think of anybody? Have you ever come across somebody who hasn't played the position, you know, outside of maybe Pee Wee or something? But I mean, you know, a, a real time playing the position who has transitioned into a coach that's had any success? Does anybody come to mind? Nobody. Yeah, I was kind of thinking the same point. thing. I'm um, sure there's somebody. I'm sure there's somebody out there, but. Nobody that comes to the top of my mind. Yeah. I have a former uh, LA King goaltender on the top of my mind uh, as a, a candidate for the open coaching position in Los Angeles. I'm curious. I know everything's moving quickly, or I'm assuming everything's moving quickly with your promotion and the restructure. How far along are you guys uh, in the process of uh, deciding who's going to be the coach, you know, to fill your former role with the Kings? Um, we're in the process of uh, putting a list together. Uh, once the announcement was made, we're probably, you know, five or six days in now. Um, the list is, is rapidly growing. We probably had, uh, for the two positions over, over 60, uh, candidates right now. Wow. So, uh, the process over the next week or so is, is to narrow that down to probably, uh, you know, 10 guys and then maybe even whittle it down to, another, to five. Uh, in the interview process, but that that's a decision that uh, we're making next week with uh, with management. So I'm assuming that you would do all of the interviews, and then at some point you serve up maybe the final two or three candidates, and then you seek input from uh, from the other people in management. You know, whether you're talking about Nelly or Blake or whatever. Uh, that's what the decision is going to be made next week. What the process is. When I've done it before, I, I did it myself, and then the the last three candidates. 
um, I sat down with, with, uh, with Glenn Murray and, and Richard Seeley when, when we hired Adam Brown. Mm-hmm. So, um, obviously the big one, uh, my position, um, the top management guys are going to be involved and obviously Todd is going to have a big say in it. So, um, it'll be a little bit of bigger group this, this time around when we, we get down to the final guys. Sure. Has Todd served any guys up to you and said, Hey, add this guy to your list of 60. Um, he's, he's given me a few names. Uh, obviously people are contacting him. Um, you know, it's, uh, we're pretty, we're the hockey business is a pretty small world. So, um, guys that have worked with Todd, um, you know, that, that have goalie coaches, he's obviously, uh, getting names passed on to him. And then, um, you know, we add them to the list. Talking about the current NHL scoring is up. Why, why do you, why do you think scoring is up as a goaltender? Um, I think the, we're in a little bit of a transition stage right now, um, with goaltending across the league. Um, over the last couple of years, we've probably lost anywhere from 10 to 12 legitimate number one, 10 plus year starters. Mm-hmm. And I think we're just, we're in that little bit of a lull. Um, and the game's changing. I think the, the new athletes sometimes, uh, isn't as concerned about defending as they are about playing offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you've got two teams that are willing to play that way, obviously scoring is going to go up. This, this might be a hard question to follow, but I'm curious as a coach of a team, take Todd, for example, um, as an example, not specifically referring to Todd, but as a coach of a team, Todd has, you know, 23 guys that he's worried about and he has relationships stronger relationships with some players than maybe he does with other players, et cetera. But as the goaltending coach, you guys are so involved and you have really two primary goaltenders at the NHL level. When you went through what you went through this year with Cal going down and then with quickie getting traded, is that emotionally harder? Do you think maybe for a goaltending coach than it might be with a a star player getting traded for maybe a regular head coach, if that makes any sense? Well, when you've got a, 15 plus year relationship with a goalie. It was, it was gut wrenching when, when quickie got traded, mm-hmm. you know, um, we've been together, uh, you know, s- since I started here. So he was a draft pick at the time. And, uh, so obviously with what he's done for this organization, it's, it's different. Um, but it's also part of the business, you know, at the time it was really disappointing, but it's part of the business and, and, and you move on. Um, I think the role of the goalie coach has changed so much. Um, you're not just, you know, um, in that role of working with the goalies. You're, uh, I'm so much more interactive, eye in the sky, um, working with the extra players after practice, uh, scouting reports to help out the shooters. It's the, the role has changed so much since I started. Um, so I, I don't look at myself as just responsible for two guys. I don't think I'm any different than any of the other coaches um, but obviously my focus, my primary focus is, is the two guys that, uh, that are, are, you know, with the LA Kings at the time. Yeah. Uh, this is a broad question. I'm not sure how you'd like to answer it, but you think about all the coaches I was mentioning earlier that you're, you're one of the holdovers. You've been around for a long time, much like Yank. Um, you, you referred to, uh, Mark Crawford earlier. You had time with Terry Murray, uh, obviously Daryl Sutter as a head coach, uh, John Stevens, and now with Todd, 
what what are some of the differences working with all of those you know different coaches? Um, I think every every coach that that I've worked with uh, has brought you know a different perspective to the game, which has really helped me grow and. Um, you know, I always joke around that, you know, I just found a way to, to slide under the radar and, and just, you know, keep my head down and do my work and take care of business and, and keep my job. And, um, but I think each, each of those coaches, uh, you know, bring their, their own knowledge, their own way of coaching, but also, uh, things that, that I learned, you know, obviously with, with Mark, um, Crawford being the first coach, I just learned the, the life of what an NHL coach is like. And then Terry Murray came in and, and you learn about the, um, you know, his focus was this team's got to learn to play defense first and then worry about scoring. Um, and then you, um, bring in, you know, a guy like Daryl that's, that's all about the game plan let the assistant coaches coach and he's about, you know, motivating the players and game plan. You know, John Stevens was, uh, it was a short time with John, but I worked with John for, for so many years and just, just, um, you know, he, he was such a great defensive coach, but also started looking, you know, at the old, even though he was so defensive minded, uh, when he took over, it was like, okay, how can we increase scoring to take pressure off off our our defensive game? And then, you know, when Todd came in, just his Todd's wealth of knowledge, his success that he had in both Edmonton and uh, uh, especially in San Jose, and all those great battles we had against him over the years, um, just his wealth of knowledge that he has that he brings brings to the game. Yeah. Last question here, and then we'll let you run. Certainly appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Congratulations again on the promotion. Very interested in seeing how this whole thing unfolds, uh, you know, this new era of goaltending, drafting, and developing and coaching uh, in in Los Angeles and really throughout the organization, including Ontario, et cetera. Um, you, You had talked earlier about how the game has changed, and so let's just talk about earning trust, which is something that all coaches need to do with players. I'm imagining it's different today earning the trust of players than it might have been 10 years ago, let alone back when you were playing. Young players today, they're different, uh, and the contracts are different. And and so how, how does a coach go about earning trust today that might be different than back in the day? I don't think it's changed. You know, the, the, the bottom line is you, you get the, the hardest part is about the transition from you know, junior or college or even the American Hockey League into the NHL is the bottom line. When you get to the NHL, there's one thing that everybody has in mind and that's winning. And at the junior ranks, um, your star players are your star players. And whether they make a a mistake or not, they, you're pushing them out the door because they're your star players. You get to the NHL level, everybody's a star. And, you make a mistake and it ends up in the back of your net and it becomes repetitive. Um, you're, you're, you're not building trust with your head coach and it makes it tough for your, your head coach to look down on the bench and, and pick your number to go out for the next shift. If you've made, 
you know, your, your mistakes are, are repetitive. And I think that's the biggest thing that, uh, you, you know, you got to kind of work your way up and, uh, you know, Trent, Trent, uh, Yanni always, uh, uses a term, you know, building up cachet, putting money into the ATM, you know, building trust with the coach. And once you get to that point where you've built up that, 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 uh, ATM, you know, if you make a mistake, you're only pulling out a little bit of money, but you do other things that you keep adding it back in. You're going to, you're going to play. Mm-hmm. But if it's constant pulling money out, pulling money out, it, it makes it hard for the coach to, to put you out there. Yeah. Uh, I am going to sneak one more in because you mentioned college and that triggered my memory of Eric Portillo, who was on my list of questions. Um, yep. How excited to get him into the organization, obviously drafted by Buffalo. The Kings had looked at him uh, several years ago during his draft eligibility years, but then there's a trade that happens and then he gets signed and now he's in the mix. And so just uh, early thoughts on Eric Portillo uh, here with the LA Kings organization. Well, we haven't in my time, we haven't had a lot of big goalies. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited about that, you know, just having a big body and, and learning to uh, coach a, a guy that, that size and, and, seeing him use that big body to be successful and at the American hockey league level and then onto the NHL level. So it's, it's a big summer for him. Um, obviously he had lots of success in college, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, the American hockey league or NHL, whichever works out is a whole new animal. And so he's back home in Sweden where we've uh, had some communication with him last week. He's working hard, uh, really focusing. One of the big things we talked about him was, was making sure, you know, college life, uh, you're not eating the healthiest. And so we've really focused on, on, on getting, getting him, uh, eating healthier, um, getting stronger and, uh, looking forward to, to seeing him at development camp and how he's come along and, and start, uh, you know, getting him to learn, uh, what we expect out of an LA King goaltender. No, it's a big summer for him. It's a big summer for you. It's a big summer for the organization. Uh, not a bad first stop by Kings of the Podcast. We're going to have to book you uh, for a follow-up, and we can go through your list of uh, draft eligibles, and I guess in honor of Charlie Huddy, nice job, Wilbur. Thank you very much for having me on. All right, Billy, we'll talk to you later. Have a great summer. There you go. Okay. Bill Ranford. We'll be back after the break with more LA Kings Hockey Talk. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Welcome back, third period. Uh, thanks again to Bill Ranford uh, or Wilbur, according to uh, Charlie Huddy there. So we'll have to see if that nickname sticks or not. Um, he didn't really seem to have an answer, though, on the Bill versus Billy thing because uh, Mikey Anderson is looking to transition into being just Mike or even Michael. Uh, so we'll have to see. I, I, I guess the hockey world still calls him Billy, but uh Great story uh, about Dean Lombardi as well. Always love hearing the Dean stories. And um, yes, uh, Yank 
does travel lightly. We didn't get into the fact that Yanetti doesn't eat vegetables, but we'll save that for the next time Christian Rutu comes on. <laughs> um, DB, that's a long list of 60 candidates. If you have 60 candidates to go through to hire a coach, you're going to have to whittle that down uh, just, just a tad. <laughs> just a t- <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a lot. Right? About fifty-five or fifty-seven, John, to get to like a final three. So yeah. yeah, but it's great. It's great to see that it's such an attractive job or jobs. I think that's the uh, the takeaway for me is that when you get that many applicants who I assume are qualified at some level, uh, it'd be interesting to see. But at least uh, he's got the summertime to go through all this, and for, certainly we'll have somebody in place by training camp. Yeah, I was hoping that he would have worked in the name Peter Budai uh, just because, you know, it would have looked good coming out of the first period. But it doesn't surprise me that he was not tipping his hand to uh, the number of people. And hell, with 60 names on a list, I mean, just about any goaltender you could probably think of is on that list. So uh, we'll have to see where it goes. A couple of news items here real quickly related to the L.A. Kings before uh, we wrap up today's program uh, talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, the, I put out an article recently mentioning the fact that Los Angeles is no longer going to host the NHL rookie face-off tournament, which is a super bummer because you know, I love that tournament and you've even actually yes. traveled Dennis to go to that tournament. You joined me in uh, Arizona a couple years ago for that yes. tournament. And, uh, I think we did a live podcast, if I remember correctly from Anaheim when they hosted it. So you, you didn't get yes, to go did. to San Jose and you no. didn't go to the original one in Vegas. Uh, mm-hmm. but perhaps, you'll be coming to Vegas this year because the tournament is being moved from LA. You have to think it's kind of tied to two things. I'll say this unofficially. Um, One is there were always sort of questions. I wouldn't call them concerns about hosting the event at uh, TSPC because they don't have a lot of locker room space. So even though they have two NHL um, sheets now there, they don't have a lot of locker room space. They were probably going to utilize uh, the downtown arena, crypto arena, similar to how Arizona played all the Coyotes played yeah, their games at their home arena. And then they let all the other games take place at the ice den there in Scottsdale. But uh, crypto is going through some renovations this summer. So we're not sure how that would all fit into it. So it might not just be the best summer for that. And the Kings are now hosting part of training camp in Australia and going overseas. Yep. So this just wasn't the right year to host the rookie face-off tournament. And so last year they were originally scheduled to host it. They ended up giving it to San Jose. Then they were going to host it this year. Now they're giving it to Vegas, which I think is cool because I went back and I pulled up the tweet from several years ago when Vegas first hosted it. Every player and every hockey executive that I spoke with that weekend they were raving about Vegas and the setup that's there and hosting the tournament. And people were already, already after year one saying we'd be fine with the tournament being here every year. So they get their wish. They've now toured Anaheim. They've toured Phoenix. They've toured San Jose. And now they get to go back to Vegas. So um, it's going to be a lot of fun DB. Yeah, it's going to be great. And it is, it is a great facility. So, and, Nobody's going to be upset go to, to go to Vegas. I joked I was on a vision this morning, John. I talked about, you know, the cup final being probably Vegas and, and Panthers, obviously the Panthers are through. I said, yeah, you know, none of the media is going to complain. It's in South Beach, especially when the other options were Raleigh and Edmonton to your two of your favorite cities. John. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Sorry, Edmonton. Uh, it's not going to happen for you. So, oh, well, um, Dennis, the other uh, bit of news related to the LA Kings development camp will be coming up right after yeah. the draft, as it does every year. They're going to have to navigate around July 4th, which is on a Tuesday. Uh, so you're just looking at development camp wise. I'm going to have an article going up soon that will talk about uh, the status of several European players and their participation. Uh, it was really exciting last year to see Jamson come over and he, 
man, the kid was flying. He was one of the better players. I think he was one of the top three players in development camp, in my opinion. I'd have to go back and check my notes. Uh, and then he also uh, participated in that rookie face-off tournament, which was pretty cool. So there are a couple of uh, European players that will be coming over for development camp, as well as the uh, younger prospects in the organization. And then they usually try to get all of the players that are drafted uh, into the development camp as well. So that's always a fun time. You you spend sure. months and months stressing out about being drafted. You get drafted, and basically within an hour, they tell you that you need to be in L.A. in a couple of days. <laughs> and so you see goaltenders who you know didn't plan on being there, and now they have to get gear somehow, and guys that are from Europe have to figure out how to get on a plane real quick. We've had some guys on the program that have talked about I think it was, uh, was it Andre Lee who said he had to take yep. like two buses so. and sleep in an airport for nine hours in order to get over for development camp because he had already gone back home uh, to Sweden. So anyway, that'll be a good time. We'll talk about that uh, on Mayor's Manor. You can look for that. But Dennis, let's wrap the program up today talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs. You took Dallas in six games in the <laughs> Western Conference final. I took Dallas in six games too, I believe. Uh, you took Carolina. I think you had him in six and maybe I had him in seven yeah. or something. Maybe it was the opposite. So you had Carolina going to the Stanley cup final uh, against Dallas. And so did I, uh, we're a pair of geniuses, DB. Yeah. We're coolers, John. We're cool. You know, it's the, sh- the, <laughs> oh, yeah. the cooler. Yeah, just, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, just fade our picks. Whatever we pick for the cup final, just fade these picks. Hopefully we won't put the same picks, but just, you know, look, Hey, Florida's been clutch. Chucky's been clutch. Bob's been great. But when you look at Carolina and you look at Dallas, like just the, the lack of clutch in their in, in their game is just un, unbelievable. Just, they did never got a goal in a big spot. So and then to lose it on a power play goal at five seconds to go, uh, both these teams have just got a lot of do got to do a lot of soul searching. And John, you know, you talked about lack of offense with respect to Carolina. Hey, they got enough guys, and they just uh, Jarvis and my husband doing good. But what came what what came back to bite them in the butt? They just don't have enough go- good offensive players in Dallas. I don't know what Jamie Ben was thinking about. You know, when you really like he that's fell, not leadership. He yes, fell. Panyota texted me the same thing. I saw the last He fell. I just his he neck fell. happened to be there, and I just braced myself with my stick on his neck. That's not a good look, Dennis. It's really not it's a good terrible. look. Ottinger sucked. It was just. It's just been. I, I don't think they're going to win tonight. I could be wrong, but it looks like. I mean, how are they going to go in there with any bump, any energy? I, I just. I, I just see this as a sweep, and then we'll probably get the. Uh, Game one of the cup final probably on Wednesday because they're not going to wait 10 days if they sweep to uh, TNT is not going to win. The league doesn't want to wait 10 days. But, uh, yeah, really, hey, look, the two teams deserve to be in it. It's going to be a great cup final, but really disappointing efforts by both Dallas and uh, and uh, the Canes. And you know what I want to say about Florida is really shame on us because both of us really should have seen this coming. Uh, watching Florida, you could yeah, see them building momentum. You yep. could see it throughout the each series. And my one concern was that getting getting past Toronto was going to uh, maybe there would be that energy dump type thing, that adrenaline dump. And boy, it hasn't happened. But Florida, um, we should have seen this coming, Dennis. They, they, they were building while Carolina was they weren't slowing down. Right. But Carolina, yeah. Carolina wasn't elevating. That's that's the word. They weren't elevating while Florida was elevating. So when you look at it from that perspective, we should have seen this coming with Florida. Yeah. And and Florida, John, you know what? 2012 Kings. Right? Yeah, I know. People keep saying that. Well, the goalie's there. The goalie's been fantastic. The numbers are almost the same. Barkoff is like Kopitar. I guess Sam Bennett would be Brown. I don't know who Kachuk would be, but, but and, and an eight seed. Although you're right, John, like you got to like the team's playing best win the cup at this point, and they were playing bad. Look, I get Carolina. they good against the Devils, 
but Pat, Carol, uh, the Florida was a way different animal than the Devils were. More experienced, more physical, bigger, proven goaltender. So it's just, uh, man, we should have saw it coming. But you know, kudos to the Panthers because they really, when the chips were down, they the overtime goals, it's been a great run for that team. Um, after the program today, Dennis, when you're finished ordering that new piece of equipment for the podcast, can yeah. you can you then research and figure out who Matthew Kachuk is on that team? I'd like you to text me that so that we can have a good <laughs> offline argument because okay. uh, I'm not sure that the Kings in 2012 had a Matthew Kachuk, but you, yeah. you figure yeah. out who the comparable is and you can send it over and we can we can argue about it via text later. Um, Dwight King. On, uh, yeah, Dwight King. Never trust a 74. I don't know how many times I have to cover this topic. I, know, I mean, you do. It, I know. Clearly, Jay Woodcroft listen. was not listening because, uh, you know, <laughs> 74, baby, 74. If you are a young hockey player that's out there or any sport for that matter, and you're listening right now, uh, if you have any uh, dreams of being a number 74, I highly encourage you to change your number because that is not. No, <laughs> Dwight King, Kenley Jansen, Stuart Skinner, the list goes on and on. Uh, don't be a 74. I'm going to get bumper stickers made that say that. Don't be a 74. How about that, Dennis? It's beautiful, John. It's beautiful. I'll, I'll, fly to Edmonton. Absolutely. I'll fly to Edmonton just to stick those on cars in the middle of the night. I'll get in and I'll get out before anybody can see me in Edmonton. That's the only time I want to go to Edmonton. Um, in terms of Vegas, though, DB, um, yeah. you know, it's interesting uh, because Buffalo really, I would say, picked up the bulk of the positive media off the Jack Eichel mm -hmm. trade this yep. year, um, had a great regular season. And then now it's the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, Jack's just keeping his head down and getting the job done. And um, now Vegas is sort of reaping the benefits of that trade, if you will. Yeah, he's going to run for the Conn Smythe, John. He could win the Conn Smythe. Pretty, I, mean, I don't think Aiden Hill will, but uh, it's going to be either like uh, Stone or, or – Jack, Jack's been fantastic for this team. Okay, pump the brakes a little bit. The matchup what? hasn't even been set for the Stanley Cup final, and you're already calling your Conn Smythe prediction? Well, I, I, I'm assuming they win. If they if Florida wins, it's going to be Chucky or Bob. But, yeah, of course I am. Dallas is not coming from 3-0. Sorry, they're not. They're not coming from 3-0. This is going to be – I already made reservation. Well, I made reservations in Fort Lauderdale anyway. But, no, come on. Stop it. Stop. Uh, just, hey – when you, I'm not going to Florida again with you, but when you go to Florida, I want you to make sure yeah. that you go to the hard rock and I want to make sure that you go back to the club where we were, because I'm going to, matter of fact, I'm going to yes. tweet it right after this thing. I, the visual from being in Florida is being at the hard rock and DJ, uh, Polly D is up at the, the, the one yep. twos wearing a Vegas golden Knights Jersey. I don't think they're going to let Polly D back in during the Stanley cup final wearing a <laughs> Vegas Jersey. I don't think that's going to happen. So if Polly D has a residency at the Hard Rock coming up, he's going to have to think about a different wardrobe. He's going to have to go back exactly. to Jim Tan Laundry or something. Can't wear the Golden Knights jersey during the Cup Finals. Uh, Dennis, any parting words? Let's wrap this show up today. Any anything left? No, nothing left. Just looking for. I, look, with all like this round hasn't been. There's been drama in in the in the conference final in the games, but when it's a four game sweep and a three nothing lead, it hasn't been drama there. But I, I think that. Uh, Vegas, Florida could be a really, really great cup final. I'm looking forward to that. It absolutely will be a better cup final than anything that would have involved Edmonton. I think that's what you were trying to say, Dennis. So um, enjoy the sweep. Have a great day, everybody. Enjoy the weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you on the other side of Punk Rock Bowling uh, after I get some rest. See you then. The pictures tell the story. This life had many shades. I'd wake up every morning and before I'd start each day, I'd take a drag from last night's cigarette that smoldered in its tray. Down a little something and then be on my way.
Sometimes I was so messed up and didn't have a clue 